What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 8 of Industry 4.0, the only podcast that suggests that you regularly update your printer drivers. Um, <laughs> I'm coming to you right now with the with all five of the people on the podcast. Let's go ahead and do a roundtable real quick and get some intros out of the way. <laughs> I'm uh, Matt Slavin. We got... Who else? Who wants to jump in? This is Jeff Budzinski uh, by short J Boats. This Kyle is Fisher. Thompson. Thompson. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody all go at once. Oh, you yeah. Kyle, you got. It. <laughs> I said my piece. You can call me whatever you want, but it's Kyle Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Thompson. And then we have Irvin, other known, otherwise known as Swerve. And swerve, swerve. <laughs> swerving, moving right on from the massive fumble that was the introduction. So we're going to go ahead and Sorry, jump guys. straight into <laughs> no, you're all good. our first topic. Um, we got Facebook at 2 billion monthly active users. Uh, that's almost a third of all people. That's right. And most likely everybody listening to this podcast. Anybody want to jump off on that topic? Just kind of talk about what that means for social media and Facebook and their like new responsibilities having that many people. Well, I'd like to start by just mentioning that um, I am a prioritized Facebook user because I got a personalized video today from Facebook. And I'm sure no one else did. I got the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> no, but I think it's pretty pretty incredible um, that there's that large of a percent of the world population that uses this one online social media service. Uh, it's really impressive, and it's kind of crazy to think about how far it's come. Um, looking at a chart here, it looks like in 2010, there was about 500 million users, and that's gone up by four times in the past seven years. Yeah, he went from forcibly enrolling college students to forcibly enrolling half of the Western world. <laughs> <laughs> It's Half of the Western world. world. <laughs> what? It's more than that. Yeah, it's a ton. And he picked up, I don't know if you said the exact number about it, but he picked up almost 700 million people this, I think, the past year or two from like India and um, the Asian countries in general. So that's that's insane growth. And Mark Zuckerberg was saying that he his plan to basically have an internet where everybody is interconnected is on is well on its way and it's looking like we're getting very close to seeing that reality and i wonder if it's going to get to the point where they break three million four million five million as the rest of the countries develop and billion, um, billion i think billion yeah billion <laughs> and any potential um antitrust um things that might come along with that like it, is it possible for a social network to um, to commit any antitrust laws, I, I don't. I'm not sure how I mean, that would. They got in trouble for offering uh, free access to Facebook and some other sites with their uh, internet.org uh, campaign oh, right. that was done in India and I think other countries as well, uh, where they would give them free service uh, that lets them access a handful of sites, and of course one of them was Facebook uh, for free, so you don't have to pay for internet. Um, and the reason that they did that is be, they want people connected. And if they can only access Facebook, that's fine with them or a handful mm -hmm. of other sites. I think Wikipedia was on that list as well. Uh, but people were like, you're just ever, you're just subsidizing the internet just so you can access, uh, Facebook. Like we don't right. want that. Um, and it's 
their their reach is absolutely insane and it's almost unprecedented even in i think in all of human history the amount of reach that something they can put on that website has to humanity in general like the article on TechCrunch goes into the details saying 66% of Facebook's monthly users return each day compared to 55% when it hit 1 billion hmm. so that's more than half of these people are on daily. So there's more than a billion people coming in and out of this website. So That's it's really like, nice. it's now becoming like the only place that I would think that people should advertise, the only place that people should post um, articles despite their um, their like built-in article program not exactly working out. And a lot of news companies backing out of actually making, I think it's their instant articles is the one that I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of fumbling over itself while the news companies back out of that one but i hate um, those when i see them personally <laughs> yeah everyone should be working on like the standard like amp and stuff like that not instant articles i don't there's people against amp too i've seen plenty of articles especially this week reading about why they turned off amp on their site and why they're supporting they just want a simple html page but mm -hmm. like there, that's a whole separate conversation <laughs> yeah that is i don't think that's gonna happen but um anybody else have any thoughts on just like the growth of facebook and um a lot of people were kind of speculating that mark zuckerberg is trying to poise himself for a potential run for presidency <laughs> in that. 2020 yeah. do you guys hear about that or yep. like yep. yeah with these, turns, kind of, with, with, these, with these kind of two billion numbers he might be running for the president of the world exactly i think he i think that's his end goal i don't think he wants like I, I i could see him doing it but i don't know if he wants to pivot from that when he can when he's the leader of the largest communication medium on the globe right now seems like he's trying to take kind of like not not an activist approach but he's he's kind of um bringing up what we can do socially to you know, benefit the world via Facebook. He's kind of looking for the next frontier, not just mm -hmm. a way to stay connected, but what can we do with it now that there's 2 billion users? And I think um, it's interesting if you think about the conversation that would come up uh, a couple of months ago as recent news with um, content control on Facebook, the concept of fake news that's been talked about now, mm -hmm. um, you know, taking down uh, offensive posts. It's interesting mm -hmm. to think about what content they're preventing from being posted and if they're going to wind up promoting certain content in lieu of what he's talking about what can we do for society maybe they'll right push yeah because they're a media there. company now yeah right so yeah as much as they don't want to admit it they they are the primary source of not only just news but the internet for a lot of people yeah like People go online, they check their emails, and then they go to Facebook and they keep in touch with friends. And yeah. that's their entire use case. So they're going to have to, they're kind of treading on. I'd say they're in, the gateway to the internet. Right. They are. Yeah. And, and yeah. And what they put up and what they, what is trending on their website influences now potentially 2 billion people if, if it gets, if it's trending enough. And that could even be like an entire different topic on its own, but it's just impressive to see Facebook growing at these kinds of numbers and it's passing YouTube even at 1.5 billion. So it's just, it's weird to see that so many people are a part of like so few websites. 
So because all these big companies are just buying up all the competition and like these numbers are just mind blowing. I could talk about this all day, but I mean, the chart that I'm showing on the screen right now, one, two, three, four, four of those are owned by Facebook itself. Right. <laughs> and just <laughs> think about how much overlap is between those four. So that'd be Facebook itself, Instagram, WhatsApp, and uh, Facebook Messenger. I wonder how many of these the same person. Wonder how many of these Facebook accounts are of people's dogs, <laughs> if they're counted. If they're counted as people in this, as, like... as long as they logged in once <laughs> in that month, yes, they count as a person. Just pen mm -hmm. their stats. Pen their stats. Did they say it's this was? Huh? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, it's kind of weird, but in a way, it's almost like we're living in the age of supervillains. It's like the James Bond supervillains are coming to life here. You got Zuckerberg trying to control the media in all of its forms, and you have like people like Elon Musk trying to control energy resources. I mean, in a way, it is like you're seeing these people rise up and trying to control. Well, they're they're finding these niche markets to grow upon and just kind of take over the rest. It's like, oh, we got a more efficient product that works better than everybody else's. We can just easily infringe upon whatever markets are out there. It's just like that uh, that Parks and Rec episode where, uh, like, in the future, that like the world, like the whole U.S. has only five companies because they've all just merged into like five <laughs> yes. separate yeah. super companies. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Mom from Futurama. Right, <laughs> that too. <laughs> Putting on the happy face because I was gonna say I don't see either of them as villains, but maybe they're just doing right. a really good job of hiding it. Oh, exactly. I don't see them as villains now, but at some point, don't isn't it too much power centered around too few people? Right. I mean, and also, sure, Rupert Murdoch has a good deal of power in the media already, so it's yeah. almost like he's kind of pushing him out. <laughs> Bill Gates mm -hmm. got his, man. So. Yeah. Yeah, this that. is just a new form of media coming through, kind yeah. of like in the way that all the radio hosts and stars died away and went on, went off the air when uh, TV and like the movies kind of came into play. And right. the internet is just going to kill everything else. Everything is going to have to move online in order to compete. So... And they're going to have to go to the places where people are. So you're going to see all the other media sources going to Facebook and going to YouTube and going elsewhere to get their information. I mean, look at us. We're we're streaming live on YouTube and our, we have a Facebook channel right now. So it's just a testament to how much control they have over people's information and the spread of information. Right. The thing what? I really got to look out for is, is like the Gerbil types, like from... The, you know the nazi regime people who, who force propaganda and when you have that much power i mean you own this many media companies at this point so it's definitely a threat and it's real mm -hmm. uh, for sure well when we were looking at the numbers talking about like uh what was it the 66 of the the two billion login every single day yeah. compared to 55 when they hit what was it one billion you said right like the craziest part to me is that they've had more competition since then and have not only grown, but have had more active users as they grew. So as Instagram rose and Vine rose and Snapchat rose, I mean, obviously they bought, they ended up buying Instagram, but at first, it, like these, these numbers just continue to increase. Twitter had, had, its, had its peak and then has obviously calmed down a little bit, but all these different mediums, and they basically just took everything that those mediums did and said, hey, we're just going to one-up you or do it better or buy you out if we can't. And it's... As they've increased, they've somehow managed to keep people logging in even more often. Like, it's natural to see that active number go down as the total number goes up. And instead, they just continued to increase their strength of community or however you want to phrase it. It's pretty impressive.
Right. Yeah. I actually it got me researching. I looked up a stat in the UN predicted actually last month that the total world population is supposed to be over nine billion in the year uh, twenty fifty. So at this rate, they would easily be able to reach the whole the whole planet. You know, the entire human population within a matter of years. Right. But, well, it's I mean, anyone like, what, what who has have babies on their phones right, and stuff. You know. Exactly. <laughs> Listen, viewing dog memes is a basic human right. I don't know what you guys think. But I it is. Yeah. Sorry, did I say dog? I mean dog. dog. Or doggo. Doge. Dog, doggo, doge. But um, if you guys want, we can uh, wrap this topic up with any final thoughts if you guys have, because we have uh, there's a lot of ha stuff happening in cybersecurity this week that I wanted yeah, to. A lot of really happy news to share, right? Yeah, yeah, we wanted to start off with the fluff of Facebook now controls. Well, everything. before we get into this, does anyone have an audio clip from two episodes ago where we warned people about this? <laughs> <laughs> I want to throw one thing out there before we moved on, if you don't mind. Yeah, go All for right. it. So it's, it's just on, based on the comment that you said where um, it, a lot of things are moving towards online and it's starting, you know, basically internet is killing television the way that TV killed radio. And I mean, it's you don't have to look any further than what's going on at ESPN right now. They're owned by ABC, owned by Disney, one of the biggest media companies in the entire universe. Blew everybody else out of the water. We talked about how they were forcing Cable's hand and charging that everybody more just to have access to ESPN for the top tier, all this kind of stuff. And they are bleeding money, letting people go daily who have been there for years hiring whoever they can find off the street who's willing to come there while they're bleeding and they're trying to find any way to switch up the thing that they've done for 15 20 years that has made them so successful because the internet is doing everything everything they can do in a much quicker manner right mm -hmm. the internet is just beating traditional mediums up and it's if you don't believe it and you're a traditionalist just look at what ha has happened to espn over the last month right and that'll be, that's your answer right there I just hope the internet services and providers, and we've talked about this and I won't get too into it, but I hope they don't exploit people with that being known. Um, the way kind of there's this cable niche slash monopoly that kind of takes advantage of consumers in terms of cost. I hope that that doesn't happen with similar things. I think we're going to get there, unfortunately, but I hope not to. I think you're right. But, mm -hmm. but you know where we have gotten to? <laughs> and that's rampant ransomware and cybersecurity issues. Weakest um, segue ever. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we have, uh, like you said, if you had gone two episodes back, you could have called this from a mile away. But people have further weaponized um, ransomware and done any further edits on the WannaCry. And there's this new one that's called Petya, which has been running amok this week in various companies throughout the US, the UK. Um, I think it started in the Ukraine. Um, in Ukraine, not the Ukraine. In Ukraine, in Ukraine yes. <laughs> can, we, um, can we rephrase that? Is it absolutely pulverized Ukraine? Yeah. The power it, went out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it was, it's pretty bad. Um, this, new, um, this new one is, it's only asking for $300 in Bitcoin, which I looked up with the with the current rate that's only 0.13 bitcoins right now um and is this in ukrainian dollars this is in us oh. in ukrainian it's probably <laughs> slightly more <laughs> and good luck getting it if you don't have power too which is even worse right. but um 
the thing that I was looking up a couple articles on on this Petya ransomware, and it's looking like it's getting worse instead of better. Yep. So within a couple of hours after launching this, the email that's associated with with the with receiving the acceptance of the ransom and the payment was shut down because it was hosted on a publicly owned website and or a publicly owned email domain and as a result they can no longer tell when people have actually paid it they just are getting money in their bitcoin wallet and as a result they can no longer hold up their end of the deal and decrypt so people are kind of sol when it comes to this decryption so at this point if anybody's listening and considering paying paying it don't because it's a waste of bitcoin at this point and a waste of 300 dollars per machine yeah but yeah it's like this is this is awful like we're starting to see weaponized ransomware because it's it turns out people are easy to get in phishing attacks that's correct mm. and these... do we have any reported cases of where they were actually decrypted um I don't know, but it said they had received 20 payments by the time it was taken down. So I'm oh, guessing it was a very chance. Yeah, it was yeah. a very, it, it only, it was only up for two hours before yeah. it was taken down. Gotcha. So the second they were hit, if they didn't pay it, then there was no way to decrypt it. So at this point, the only hope those companies have is running a backup. Yeah. And which they should be doing anyway, mm-hmm. if they're. So, yeah. But who's to say their backup server isn't infected? Right. Right. That's the issue. We're going to find out quickly which companies are worth their salt in their IT department and their cybersecurity teams. Well, it's not even, yeah, if, if you're talking about compliance and uh, actually doing what they're saying they're doing, I totally agree. Right. And, um, people. and the reason that we are talking about companies here is that it's spreading like wildfire within companies because it's designed to do that it's designed to infiltrate get into a network so that be through a phishing attack directly for like let's say someone opens attachment and once it's on on a corporate network that'd be a hospital corporation office building uh it's gonna go out reach out to all the computers on the network that it can see and look for any vulnerabilities that it can exploit and spread onto those as well so that's why a lot of these stories are about companies getting hacked because yeah one individual person can get hacked and then more than likely all the computers on in the house within that same house will get attacked but that doesn't uh make a big story i was kind of wondering about this that it's probably done with um saves authentication correct like where you already have the permission set up where you don't have to re-enter uh credentials where it laterally attacks other machines in the network i think it just doesn't like it just pings the network and hits any ip address that responds it doesn't even need credentials it doesn't need credentials because it's leveraging a a bug that was fixed back in march Mm. uh Mm -hmm. by microsoft but it's still like if you have an unpatched system it's leveraging an smb bug uh, uh, yeah. SMB is the what the protocol that it's used to like transfer files between computers. Um, so as long as it sees a computer on the network, it can reach out to it, see if that bug is still open on that computer, and then go ahead and infect it. Yeah, um, and the... that, I've I read other stories where that's not even relevant anymore because some and within some corporations they have a master 
controller server where it sends out uh, updates to all the computers. So mm -hmm. Microsoft will release updates uh, to the IT personnel and they will decide which updates will get uh, released. So what this virus, a version of this virus will do is reach out to that update server, hack that, and then create a malicious update that'll force uh, all computers on the network within that domain to download. And that'll make every single computer that's received that update uh, uh, exploitable. W6, right. server, I think. And the only way to avoid these kinds of network attacks is if um, the teams were smart enough to partition their backups on a separate network right. than their actual computers. So that's about the only way you could avoid that, going completely across all of your computers on your network. And this isn't even the worst part of it. Um, this Verge article goes further into detail um, with this saying that people who analyze this, because obviously this got all of the big cybersecurity guys' attention right away, um, they analyzed it and they realized that not only is this a uh, an encrypting virus, but it's not exactly ransomware either. It was rewritten to be a wiper. Yep. So... They took an older version of the Petya software, which was based off of the WannaCry exploit, and weaponized it not only to um, to encrypt your drive, but to delete the encrypted drive. So at this point, it's getting, like you said, weaponized to the point where they can target you know specific companies, organizations, or governments, countries, and to say, okay, we have we have a problem with you. Your computers are gone. Mm -hmm. If they get yeah, it. and. It's this is almost like this could. I don't even. Want, I don't want to say the T word because it's yeah. it's gonna cause all kinds of stuff. But it, it's basically when you break it down, it's cyber terrorism in a way because it's coming into a system and with a completely malicious intent. It's not trying to get money from anybody. It's not trying to do anything. Like a lot of the analysts were saying that they intentionally hosted that email on a public on a public domain because it would get taken down. Right. So, like, this is something on an entirely different level than WannaCry. Well, Ryan and I were kind of talking about this the other day um, when I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, power went out in Ukraine. And I don't know if it was data was countrywide, but at least in specific areas. Um, in the U.S., most of our power grid is backed by computers and controlled by computers. Mm -hmm. This is definitely, like you said, the T word. Uh, it, it gets on the level of terrorism when you're affecting the infrastructure of countries, the well-being of its citizens, quality of life. Uh, this is akin to basically physically damaging the infrastructure mm -hmm. if you make it inserviceable, unusable. I really uh, hope those computers are air-gapped. That means that they're not connected to the network, any network, right? They're yeah. run by themselves without access to the public internet, which how they should be done to protect it from that. So there's like an emergency response system for, you know, um, physical threats. Is, do, do you think there's something similar in place where, you know, they can reach out to all the support technicians, system admins, uh, network administrators, and say, this is the action you need to take. This is a risk, not just going through the news, not just pushing updates through Windows, but a public service announcement where it's, this is an imminent threat. This is what you need to do. 
if there isn't, there should be. I mean, one hundred percent. It's at least talk to major companies and set something up. I mean, it's 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 got to be in people's minds, especially. I mean, there's no other word to describe it than ter- than a terroristic act. It doesn't have to be associated with any known terrorist group. I'm not going to go that far, but like it is a terroristic act in the pure definition of the word. Mm-hmm. And there's no other way to talk about it. Right. And to kick it back with what Irvin was saying, hoping that our systems are air-gapped, the, the benefit, one of the indirect, I don't know if you can call it a benefit, but of being in a country where computing really kind of started and got off the ground is a lot of our bigger systems are still running on really, really old, mm-hmm. old hardware, still running on like, I think there's even systems that still run on punch cards and like using languages like Cobol. Fortran, yes. COBOL, yes. some of them run on tubes. Like there's still some old systems that are so old, there was no malware written for them. Right. And there, there's no way because those systems predated the internet. So they're just by design air gapped anyway. So some of these bigger systems, I think we don't have to really worry about too much, but it's more modern infrastructure and data loss that I think the US would have to worry about versus lost to like a power grid or something just because of the fact that we haven't upgraded that part of the infrastructure in so many years. It makes me question um, the general concept of the internet of things, which is a huge trend right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Basically every market, if you're connecting all these devices to the internet and things like this can happen, it poses a really big threat to not just your personal privacy, which has been the main concern in a recent past, but now, you know, danger essentially Mm -hmm. yeah there was a controller that was manufactured by a chinese company that was used in a lot of internet of things devices that was used uh to uh take it to be part of a botnet uh so every device that had this chip uh had a special code once they figure out the exploit they said special code to it where it would use the internet connection of that particular device to uh, DDoS a particular website in this case I think it was the uh, DNS server so it took down uh, oh was that the Mirai botnet yeah the Mirai yeah. botnet that was that that took down the, the internet Dine or, DNS. yeah Dine DNS mm-hmm. yeah that was um, I think that was a set of DVRs from China <laughs> yeah because it used some kind of controller uh, that was connected to the internet that could be exploited mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so remotely, I, I would it's I would say with the in that case it's a bit of a stretch to refer to that as like an IoT device, but it's on it's the internet, a, right? Yeah, it's just an internet connected DVR, just like a smart TV or a smart DVD player or like mm-hmm. an X1 box from Comcast or a Shield TV, etc. Um, but it, the, the same could very easily happen to say like a Philips Hue bulb or to something of that nature. So your locks <laughs> or the locks, the smart lock. Um, and even with that too, that could actually be even more dangerous because that could send out like the signal that it's required to unlock that lock yeah. or the keys in that way. But um, this is the beginning of something that could go in one of several directions, I think. And I don't know how excited I am to be, a part of that ride <laughs> i think we're going to see a lot of security updates coming through and a lot of people improving security and then i think you're also going to see people who don't do that and just get taken down completely so i'm waiting for the first 
big consumer grade attack. But when it comes down to it, all of it is just phishing attacks. So someone clicked an email they shouldn't have, someone downloaded an extension they shouldn't have, etc. And which is like the first thing you were told when you got on the internet for the first time. Yeah, you but who remembers that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I've I've even caught myself accidentally clicking on like an agree button like during an installer just because there's one moment where I'm just not thinking. Oh yeah, and, we've all been there, but yeah. And it's something that I think we're gonna suffer with until the end of time because it's just something that people do. People stop thinking for a second and they make a mistake and next thing you know your computer's infected with a virus. So I it's like it's depressing. <laughs> One of the, the scary things to think about for me is like I, like you said, a lot of our, our different infrastructures might be on older older uh forms of technology like before the predated internet stuff like that but when you see major outages like ukraine having issues with power i mean that is a multi-layered attack it's not just oh well the power went out so just sit tight until it comes back on no it's going to lead to looting which is going to lead to rioting which is going to lead to violence which is going to lead to police force coming in and having to overstep their boundaries and then war like it, i mean it's it can go so quickly in a bad direction physically beyond the technology that I think it's like you said, it's something that everybody has to be aware of and government and whomever needs to take steps on now, be proactive instead of reactive. Mm -hmm. So I know that at least for the U S there's a lot of these emergency plans for various disasters occurring. I'm assuming something along, you know, in the same vein as this has been planned for, but it's it's damage control. It's not like um, a solution necessarily. It's how how do we keep things from getting extremely out of hand? Right. Um, it's it's really terrifying. When you think about the it. In, the internet, um, like most things, wasn't designed with security in mind in the beginning. It was designed to get things to work. So. Now we have years of infrastructure built around that mindset that people are now beginning to exploit because you're getting different people with different agendas able to connect to the same network. So I think it's going to be, we're basically going to be fighting this for the rest of forever, much in the same way we're going to be fighting crime because you, it's one of those things where the fixes are only ever going to be reactive. We're never going to be able to predict an attack route in some way. Someone's always going to come up with something new, something unique. And then antivirus companies and cybersecurity firms and operating system vendors are going to have to react to that. It's, and it's, it's insane because, I mean, what you're, what you're saying exactly. And with, with a natural disaster, we see weather patterns, something, it'll, it'll happen eventually. There's a hurricane that affects things like this. This is in someone's hands or a group of people's mm -hmm. hands. They can deliberately make a decision to impact thousands, if not millions of lives with the press of an anarchy. Right. Right. And I think like you touched upon, Matt, where you said we're going to see this until the end of time. The scary part is we're on the verge of technology being integrated with our bodies. Like we mentioned in earlier episodes, like bionic pieces, things that, you know, we're, medicine is advancing at such a rapid pace these days that it could be integrated with us. People could attack your body. Right now, it's still kind of external to us physically. Like, yeah, it, it would take down our infrastructure. It would still be a major, major issue. But 
physically it can't really touch us and once it once it gets to that point it's just going to be so severe it's catastrophic and here's the the kickers i've attended some conferences recently regarding security um in a lot of big name companies so i can't mention but security is essentially viewed by almost all of these companies as a, a, a nice to have it's not in the root of the company it's about the business plan it's about the capability but they don't take the security into account as a necessity and they need mm -hmm. to. that's not that's just in that's in human nature i mean if even in even in our podcast if you go back a couple episodes when we were talking about which android phone you might want to get um i brought up the three possibilities of something you could be you can consider when looking for a phone and uh, it was either camera, battery life, or battery, or security, I mean. And you picked the camera over top of the battery I, life for the security. That was, and, that was like, people, <laughs> people, oh, okay, well, people aren't concerned about security. Security is in, you know, almost universally, no one thinks about it because it doesn't immediately benefit them. Right. So we, we talked about that when we're talking about the AI and the robots, like you have to be proactive in that case instead of reactive. And this is the way you can be proactive. So we weren't necessarily prepared for these ransomware attacks or these malware attacks, whatever, whatever the situation may be. But you can, like, uh, like Ryan said, you can take the example of what they did to the technology that doesn't physically affect us and prepare the ones that will physically affect us for these potential attacks. You use what has happened to you in the past and get prepared for the things that are more physically and more immediately going to affect us on a, on a more dangerous level if you look at how we talked about the potentials for AI and, uh, and robots in the future. Mm -hmm. And being proactive can be something as simple as enabling updates for your printer drivers. Exactly. <laughs> right. hey, and then know. being proactive on the consumer side of actually doing the updates. It's, mm -hmm. it's very exactly. They're, and they're annoying, but like, what do they take a couple of minutes? Sometimes like maybe a half hour, but to protect yeah. like, for what they provide. But I have right. to restart it. Oh, the big complaint that I hear with people is that updates tend to break things because they'll tweak a few things with the UI and something doesn't work quite as well as it used to work. But the benefits of that is those fixes, well, the, you have to deal with some minor inconvenience while they work on that patch. Um, usually with those come security updates, bug, bug fixes, improvements, exploits, stuff like that. So the benefit... You don't. You're not seeing the benefits. You're just experiencing some weird quirk in the UI after you what download you, the update. I wonder if it would be beneficial for the user community if companies like Microsoft were to put it in human terms what the updates do. I, you can go into the details and see. Hey, you know, uh, back in the day, this prevents uh, SQL injection from being a possibility. You know, mm -hmm. maybe now come out and say this can prevent. Uh, you know, Petya, Petya from affecting your system. That'll mm -hmm. grab your attention. You won't pass that update for two yeah. months. I completely that. agree that, with that. I mean, the, the simpler you can make it, I mean, it sounds stupid. Like one of the most popular Reddit threads is ELI5. Like explain it to me like I'm dumb, like I don't know what I'm talking about. Because you know what you were talking about when you wrote that down. I don't work for you. I have no idea what, what this means. Yep. If I see right. 46 lines on my Facebook update on my phone, I'm like, eh, I'm good. I don't know what it fixed. Does it still work? Cool. Like you have to be able to make it, especially for things like this, you have to simplify it for people. Not only and, that, but you, you get an update for an app on your phone. How many of us actually read what it updates? I've never read it once. 
Yeah. So put it out there. Don't give them the option to go into details. Just say, this fixes this. Like, this is important. Even if it's like not every update, when it's something like this, make it loud and clear. Mm -hmm. And also some companies take the step to go a little too simple and word it as bug fixes and improvements. Every single update is bug fixes yeah, and minor speed approvals. Fixes. Yeah. It's like a template. It's boilerplate. This is right. like, oh, cool, an update. Minor fixes. What, what fixes? What was wrong with it before? Why did you have to do it? Like, I, it, it would be nice to see a better standard across release notes Maybe, and well, different updates. Yeah, but maybe we care about that. Like more people might not. I don't know. Just mm -hmm. yeah, looking at it from a different angle. People don't care because they don't know what it means. That's what I'm right. trying to say. Yeah. You don't have to bring right. in technical details. Just say this is a big deal. You need to do this. Like we're telling you, you got to do this. Are app updates in the iTunes Store on by default? Like auto update? Is that an on by default feature or is that an opt in? So, I think you can you can definitely toggle the option, but. Mm -hmm. I think by default it is set to auto update. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's auto update when you're connected to Wi-Fi. That's that sounds right. Or or connected to the okay. PC. Yes. Um, yeah. Or Mac. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because even even like we, this could be helped at the consumer level too. So or the the company level. So setting making that an industry wide standard. Like make people opt out of updates if you're going to have. If you have the option to automatically push an update, like the Google Play Store automatically updates by default. The iTunes Store, like you're saying, automatically updates by default, given settings. So HP printers don't automatically update by default. They should. Mm -hmm. Like people should have auto update on. So that way in the case of critical vulnerabilities, because um, not to bring it up for the 40,000th time, but that HP printer thing, it allows something to get into your network through an exploit. And, and if and that happens to be ransomware, you yeah. just got hacked through your printer. True. They're but changing that. What happens if auto updates enforced here and we're in the middle of a podcast and boom, there goes your computer. Right. Right. In Windows yeah. 10, you can't turn off. Updates have to be installed. There's no option to never install an update. You can defer yeah. it indefinitely, but right. it's still going to bug you. There's no option for it to like, hey, completely off. I don't want any updates ever. And this was right kind direction. of, yeah, this was kind of a mixed bag too with the Windows updates, the way they handled it. With Windows 7, you used to have this like crazy long list of different bugs or different updates of different priorities and of different yeah. levels of importance. Right. And a lot of those are now bundled into the same pod or into the same um, update. So yeah. yep. now you just get one giant one and you can't pick and choose which ones you want, right. which is good. And that's how it should be. Like a lot of people were up in arms about that. It's like, oh, I can't download my driver updates or whatever. And I can't not opt to have these stupid updates happen. But everything happens at once. You get so the security updates and the fluff. It kind of sucks when it interferes with the software you use or something like that. But that's typically with uh, a different application, like Java, mm -hmm. for example. If you update to a certain version, uh, uh, previous version of that may be ideal for a software or website you use but right. when it comes to windows updates i don't know if that's the case maybe like anyone Dynamics else framework things like that you know what else sucks having the first 25 sector blocks of your hard drive completely demolished by yeah. ransomware because you didn't update that also sucks too yes and that's so, what i was going to say earlier <laughs> yeah. would you like a computer and, or would you like a loading screen that threatens you and in this new version um 
that was that happens, you might not even be able to see a loading screen. Yeah. Um, the one that the the one that's been running rampant now is dubbed not Petya, and it um, it says it demolishes key functions of the victim's computer's boot process, which is in the this cyber scoop article. Um, demolishes the key function of the victim's computer boot process even before the victim has a chance to read any ransom demands. So it's there, like the ransom demand is there, but your computer might not survive long enough to be like, hey, you got hacked with ransomware, it would just shut down because all of your files have just been corrupted and your boot process. Yeah, so that's just like out for blood, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no point, like there's no intention of ever collecting, a mon collecting money and then sending you a decryption key to you. There, there's none of that at all. They're just mm -hmm. there to completely delete everything off your computer for no reason and that's why it's unfair to refer to this as ransomware i think it's not it's not ransomware it's malicious in intent design and implementation so an interesting point i saw in that verge article is maybe the uh, perpetrators posted as ransomware to get media attention since that's kind of a buzzword right now and then mm -hmm. really you just see the the aftershock of that initial ransomware right. which was ransomware and now it's just this very volatile slaughterware yes <laughs> yeah wipers is what the, a lot of these sites are calling yeah yeah wipers so oh my god it's and like like you said even going even going a step further from that not only just destroying your system but the email they used like the way they approached the ransomware aspect of the software was almost as if they weren't even trying they used that public domain email which with any person with any person who's doing this would know would be immediately taken down unless it was privately hosted right so it's it's as malicious as you can get with ransomware and this is going to be a quoted example in security courses and lectures going forward for years i think well we'll see if any others come up but yeah I, yeah I, i'd agree at least in terms of uh like a catalyst it would definitely be covered and right now just while i have the floor for a second if you haven't gotten the point yet update your computer please <laughs> update your computer if you need to mm. <laughs> okay now that's been explicitly stated auto update all the things i have a side note also go ahead update your computer <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I don't think I heard that. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, but anybody have anything else they wanted to cover about ransomware? Any? It's any? If not, I have a little comment. Okay. Before going forward, so uh, we're commenting on auto updates of apps, and there's a recent one of one of everybody's favorite apps that. Uh, included a new feature that I was not aware of because I didn't read the release notes because it auto-updated. And maybe enabling something a lot of people wouldn't like. So in uh, the second half of the episode, uh, I think we'll lead off touching on that. A little tease right. for you. <laughs> yep. So for the guys also, here... Sorry, go ahead. I was saying also, um, coming off of that also, I just found out that another app... It's, I don't know if they made an iOS version, but one of the third-party Twitter apps released an update that enables editing of tweets. That's right. 
Yeah. Uh, so. lots, lots of cool news in the second half. Uh, stay tuned. We have a lot of insightful material for, for you, uh, especially for all you smartphone users, which I assume you are if you're tuning in. So uh, for all the guys here at Industry 4.0, we'll catch you in the second half. Welcome back, everybody. Second half of episode eight, Industry 4.0. Make sure if you've enjoyed our quality, quality audio gloriousness so far that you're subscribed so you can hear it every single week without even having to think. It comes right to your phone. You'll have it. It's going to be wonderful. You can go to industry 4.0, all spelled out, .podbean.com, or you can search Industry 4.0 on Google Play and iTunes to get the amazing high-quality tech talk that you get Always here on Industry 4.0 from myself, Kyle, and obviously still with me, Jeff, Irvin, Matt, and Ryan. Guys, some awesome stuff happening the last few weeks. We'd like to always, you know, keep a little more loose in the second half. That's why I do the intros. I'm a little more laid back, you know, a little, a little, a little crazy out here. <laughs> but we got some cool things. We got some stuff going on with some rockets. Two rockets yeah. one week, and it sounds like a dangerous video, but I know it's a lot more fun than that. You guys <laughs> that was the intent. Um, so, <laughs> so SpaceX has successfully landed two Falcon 9 rockets and in reuse in the same weekend. So, just to clarify, yeah, you're pretty excited about this. Yeah, I was watching, I didn't catch them live because I had a pretty busy weekend last weekend, but I watched them afterwards, uh, for sure, just to uh, catch up. And it's pretty exciting to see uh, this and they, these landings becoming more frequent and kind of becoming the norm. Because if I don't know if you guys remember the f very first time that these rockets were uh, landing on the drone trips uh, out on the ocean. Uh, it was huge news, and right now it's becoming the norm. Like, it's not even uh, making that big of a deal on Twitter or uh, the news cycles, the science uh, blogs, and things like that. It's just like, yeah, space, space, SpaceX landed on another rocket. No big deal, right? Whatever. <laughs> so real quick, for people who aren't too familiar with, you know, you said it was a big deal when the first one landed and stuff like that. For people who aren't necessarily familiar with it, what exactly makes it a big deal? Why should we be paying more attention? Right. So SpaceX has been working on trying to get the cost of launching a rocket to space down. That's their goal, right? To make it as cheap as possible to get things into space. So that'd be people or cargo. Right now, they're focused on cargo at the moment. And the way that they decided to go about it um, and they're not the first one to try this, but the first ones to succeed at it is to uh, reuse the part of the rocket that was used to just fall back and 
to the earth right, into right, the ocean where you can uh, um, yeah so it'll fall back and it wouldn't be reusable uh, at that point um, so now they're uh, figured out to where they can send that second stage back to earth so that be either um, on a uh, ship out in the ocean or back in awesome. the uh, um, on the earth uh, Matt, your robot yeah, voice. Yeah, I'm robot, robot. robot. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, Falcon, or SpaceX has been really, really successful uh, of this, uh, doing this recently. And it's really great to see that they've done two successful ones in one weekend. It looks like they just scheduled the third one to be done... Um, july 2nd so that would be three launches in uh the next in the in nine day span which is fairly impressive and yeah. just to just to go again they're they're not reusing the same rockets in these right. two launches that they're um that they did this past weekend but that's their eventual goal right for the turnaround time for these rockets to be just like airplanes or if not as quick as airplanes really really close maybe a day 24 hour turnaround time for launching a rocket into space sending it back refueling it and then launching it back up 24 hours later uh, so, which will reduce the cost of um sending things to the to space so i love that you touched on that urban because that's exactly what i was going to ask um if that goal was what they had in mind i mm -hmm. assumed it was but do you know i'm not sure if you do know but what is the turnaround for these rockets right now right now so uh it's about a year so they just they uh they're taking it slow they want to be as careful as possible to ensure that it's not gonna explode because they're expensive payloads on these rockets uh the last one was i think 200 million dollar satellite on top of this yeah uh and you don't want to risk that payload being uh blown up it's just so, saying 10 satellites were delivered yeah for this for this past one it was 10 satellites right. um mm -hmm. 10 smaller ones that was the delivered but uh right now it's about a year so they i think well a couple months ago they did their first successful relaunch of a rocket that they have already sent to space and that, that from that was about a year from when it initially launched to when it went to space again and they want to reduce that to 24 hours maybe even less if they can just a, just enough to like refuel it and send it back to space right and, and um just to like get a sense of scale on like how crazy this is these first stage um, rocket boosters that are being landed are 230 feet tall, which is insane yeah. to like watch one of these things land. It looks like a tiny little stick in the videos coming down for a landing right. and yeah. and like you zoom it's in and this so thing is like, like the, what looks like grass is actually a forest around it. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess a logistics question again, I don't know if any of you know this, I don't, um, but how, where are these, I know they're landing, you know, on these uh, carriers or ships. Um, mm -hmm. how far away from the launch sites are they landing is the intent here to have them land near uh, a facility where they can be repurposed for reuse 
So depend it, it depends on where it lands. It can land back on the same area where it took off, uh, but it really depends on how high it has to go uh, in terms of where it needs to deliver the payload. So for any satellites that need to go to uh, geostationary orbit, which means really far away uh, from Earth, that they stay in one position and they rotate with the rotation of the Earth, Right. Then the barge needs to be quite a bit out. I don't know the, the exact distance from shore, but quite a bit out uh, from shore uh, because it's it takes less fuel for it to just launch the um, payload into space and then just make a curve right back down to the ocean. Then rather than launching something into space and then firing back the engine so they turn the opposite direction so they come back to where their launch site was right. for lower or lower earth orbits that's possible because they have enough fuel on board but for the ones that need to go higher up they need to use all that fuel to send the payload up into space so it really depends on where uh, the final payload was going to end up um but if they have multiple ones ready to go right it takes them about, I think right now, maybe four, three or four days for them to get it back on shore. Uh, if it's in the middle of the ocean for the barge to come back. And these are un unmanned dr ship drone ships. Oh, yeah. Uh, it like incinerates the entire deck when these things come back for a landing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, I love people on it. I love the names of these dr of these drone ships too. The one that it landed <laughs> on was called "Just Read the Instructions." I love that. <laughs> and then the uh, other one is, of course, I still love you. Um, <laughs> the "Just Read the Instructions" reminds me of uh, RTFM. Yeah, if you know what that acronym means. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and the, um, the important thing about this and why SpaceX is so invested in reusing these rockets is that. Um, when these stage ones used to come back they were uh costing the company 100 million dollars each um and if you could save um that part of the rocket and reuse it uh all you have to do is refuel it and the fuel costs about three hundred thousand dollars that's it that's all the fuel costs that's that's the insane thing too i thought i was reading a little bit further into the article and i you said just refueling it and sending it back out, and I was thinking to myself, okay, what are like the service costs of repairing the damage from the spent fuel, or um, just kind of servicing the the shell from just even re-entry of the planet? Mm -hmm. And uh, Elon Musk was tweeting that the, the, since these are made out of a single piece of cast and cut titanium, they can withstand the heat of re-entry without the shielding, and. He says basically these could survive an indefinite number of flights with zero service, which means he's literally just paying for fuel at this point. Yeah, that's mind blowing how much money he's saving compared to a company such as NASA. Yeah, that's really impressive. And the reason that they're launching these ones in such quick succession is that they had an explosion towards the end of 2016. Uh, that caused everything to back up in terms of they went through this huge investigation to see what uh, that explosion was caused by. And once they found the issue, they fixed it on all of their uh, rockets that were out there um, ready to be shipped. And now that it's fixed, they're filling, they're trying to 
work on their backlog of all the launches that they had contracts for and they're trying to if they if the launch window lines up they're like yeah we can launch it so that's why they're doing three launches in nine days uh which is unheard of in terms of like when nasa used to do them or uh russia or china that are launching rockets uh, so cool so cool Mm -hmm. yeah space space (laughs) I'm kind of curious on what the the shielding is like on these rockets. You're saying you can use them indefinitely. I mean, you got space debris flying around up there at like 27,000 miles an hour. It could puncture these rockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they they keep track of all those space, so they know exactly where. And it's not going up that high. These stage ones, uh, they're not. They're. I mean, okay. It's pretty so they're staying in the lower atmosphere. Right. Yeah. yeah. And in the article, you can see those. Um, I think you can see it either during the video of the reentry or even. Further down in the article, there's a picture of the grid fans that are used, the, tit- the solid titanium grid fans that open up. to, And it yeah, looks like those right. are used to dissipate a large amount of the heat during reentry. So I think that's, um, that's part of the reason why they're able to keep the surface cost so low because they have ways to kind of... It's almost like a heat sink for it as it goes into the atmosphere. And it's not going fast enough for it to like generate that big heat that the space shuttle used to when it was doing its re- re-entry is going at a much slower pace uh, towards mm-hmm. the Earth so the air friction is not causing that uh, heat to build up on these rockets as much as like yeah. where the space shuttle had to have that protection on the underside of it when it's coming back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen a video of the NASA first stage boosters going back into the atmosphere, but I would imagine they care a hell of a lot less about how it re-enters yeah they don't have control <laughs> right, they just right. literally fall back into the ocean and they go ahead and just collect them yeah these just kind of the nasa boosters would kind of just plummet into the atmosphere yeah, yeah. so i wonder uh, uh do you, space how, how much how long it takes for them to reach the level where they can release the satellites i know that the the cost would be per per launch but I'm just curious how long it takes for the actual rocket to reach its destination and begin its descent back. Mm-hmm. For which rocket? Right now, the stage one? Yes. So how long it takes for it to release its payload and then start falling back? Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's about... I don't know if you watched the these launches. They broadcast every single one, so you can watch them live on YouTube. Uh, but it takes, I'd say, five to eight minutes. That's it. <laughs> And then, so then crazy. it's already coming back towards Earth. That's so um, crazy. They reach upwards of like seventeen, eighteen thousand miles an hour, in so a matter do, of wow. two minutes. <laughs> they could do like seven of these in the time it takes me to get to work every day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At least the launches, yeah. So yeah, they I just want to. I want to go to space at some point yes. in my life. And humans are next. They haven't. They've. They have, they haven't done any human flight yet. Uh, but mm-hmm. humans are next. I forget exactly when they're slated to do the first human uh, flight test. I can't wait uh, for them to say, you know... I would uh, go to space. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and they we, were... <clears throat> were we talking about this last episode or something? I can't remember if this is a side conversation or episode material, but the the apart, or the hotel rooms going to space. Did we talk about I this? I remember that now. <laughs> I don't know. There's like I I've heard of hotel rooms being provisioned as a future project where you can book this extremely expensive hotel room that goes into the upper atmosphere of Earth 
and you just get to hang out up there for a couple of days a week whatever it is and just stay in a hotel i think i saw something like that i I don't know if it was me and you talking on the side (laughs) i remember hearing about this yeah there was an architect that proposed capturing an asteroid bringing it into earth's atmosphere and building a skyscraper down from the asteroid into earth's atmosphere (laughs) it would literally (laughs) circumnavigate the globe in a figure eight all day (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) yeah that, that seems safe and practical. Yeah, totally safe. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Just casually go out there and capture an asteroid and somehow manipulate it so at the point where it doesn't collide with Earth and and then build a hotel. <laughs> it's just so crazy. Well, apparently, yeah. he's a reputable Chinese architect, so, I mean, dream big. Let's see what yeah. happens. I mean, look at, look at Elon Musk. He's digging tunnels, <laughs> going to space. His going goal to... is, like, SpaceX stands for space exploration, right? That's mm-hmm. that's why it's called SpaceX, and their goal is to make the humans uh, multi-planetary species, right? And he, Elon Musk, is very clear about this. He wants humans to go to Mars, right? Mm-hmm. This in the next, I'd say he said twenty twenty-five. By the time that sounds about right, I have to check the exact year that he said, but sooner than you think. It's only eight years sooner than you think that he wants to send uh, humans to Mars and not just like five of them hundreds at a time on these (laughs) huge rockets that uh, have full life support and everything that you need for the um, eight or nine month journey that it takes to get to Mars depending on where it is to relation to the earth but at the time that you launch yeah but, what will be in store? What will be waiting for those passengers there? Yeah, so he said that the initially they're gonna send all the supplies there, right? So when they yeah. get there, it's not just gonna be just the Mars. They will have supplies for them to. Yeah, but is that gonna be use. like assembled by AI? Or... Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> One dude decided to stay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just have robots assembling your like, base while you're oh, making it that's over right. there. That's right. I forgot. Matt Damon's there waiting to. Right. Assemble. He's, yeah, he's yeah. planting all he's the potatoes. Of all of it. Yeah, that just the like their luggage. Their luggage just scattered all over the Martian landscape. Mm-hmm. I heard a yeah. saves the day again. I heard a comedian a long time ago. Well, he needs ago. potatoes. <laughs> Sorry, guy, Kyle. I heard a comedian a long time ago saying that if you wanted to explore explore more space and save money, he's like, well, one of the most expensive parts is bringing astronauts back. So why don't we just take people who are on life sentences or death row inmates and send them? They can go twice as far. We don't have to bring them back afterward. Didn't the British try that with <laughs> Australia a couple hundred years ago? Uh, that's how Australia was came to be for, besides, you know, aboriginals. Yeah, let's just do it again. That worked out fine. Yeah, Australia's yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a big deal. <laughs> Everybody likes to the vacation there, whatever. Boxing yeah. Day is the best day of the year, so. Exactly. The only dangerous thing about Australia is all the animals. Yeah, Literally everything that isn't a human. Yeah. yeah. And if you go in the water anywhere, you're in trouble. Exactly. But um, this the, the mindset of SpaceX versus NASA kind of I, – I, I thought it was an interesting metaphor that I saw when I was in a bar uh, a couple weekends ago. I saw an older guy at one end of the bar. He was probably in his, um, he might have been in like in his early 50s or 60s, and he had a NASA shirt on. And then at the other end of the bar was this younger guy about in his mid-20s with a SpaceX shirt on. And I was just like, okay, like what are the chances of these two people being in the same bar at the same time? Did they get into a fight by the end of the night? 
I think they were glaring at each other for a little while. <laughs> to the point how I met your mother, like, have you met Joe? Yeah. It's like, hey, this is this cool new hot company, SpaceX. NASA's just like angrily drinking a beer on the other side. Getting NASA's, NASA's <laughs> young kids today. Uh. Yeah. NASA's is one of SpaceX's biggest uh, uh, contractors. NASA's, yeah. NASA's giving, they have so much, con- so many contracts with SpaceX to send supplies up to the ISS because nobody else nobody else is they're not doing it so they have to contract out uh, a third party and everybody else is so much more expensive a recent report mm-hmm. came out with that did that put did the reporting on how much Lockheed Martin because Lockheed Martin does a lot of contract work with especially the government to launch uh, rockets into space like spy satellites and uh, in that report, from what we can make out, is that Lockheed Martin charges uh, four or five times as much as SpaceX to launch the same exact satellite, <laughs> which is that's ridiculous. The, that's the idea, though, right? Right. And this is just a start. They, they want to make it even cheaper. They want to mm-hmm. make it as che- cheap as buying airplane tickets if you want to go to space. <laughs> That's so nice. It would have been funny if the guy in the bar was the NASA shirt guy was sending the SpaceX guy beers every once in a while. <laughs> Just a nice little metaphor on top of that. Hey, but hey um, man, you need some wholesale prices on rocket fuel. I got you. But I think that's a good point for us to move into the next topic because we could yeah, dedicate an entire episode to, to Elon yeah. Musk. Yeah. But, um, Bring it back down to Earth. Exactly. Oh, nice. <laughs> it took a second, but it hurt all the same. <laughs> but um, how do you guys feel about this new Snapchat update? Uh, everyone, I saw it all over the news and plastered all throughout my Google Now news feed um, when they announced it. But it's apparently been helping their stock out. But this new feature called Snapchat Maps, where if you pinch out, kind of like you're zooming out on a photo on your on your camera and snapchat it takes you to this like heat map of your local area where you can see public snaps and like locations of your friends how do you guys feel about that because it seems to me like that was almost like an opt-out feature sort of like this is what i was talking about in the first half when i mentioned the auto update with an app i didn't even realize this feature got added until i saw one of those stereotypical facebook posts it's like look out for your kids there's this new thing on this awful app (laughs) know where your kids are which i agree with you know um but i think it was disabled by default i think yeah i'm trying to it is. i know that it is, it is disabled on my phone. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's off by default so so okay. you know that's a plus um but it's kind of creepy i think uh it's it's goes to the whole battle back and forth on location services pros and cons mm-hmm. uh I, I think that they can be useful. I think they can be very cool, but it is creepy that people that you may not even know that well, but you would send a picture of, for example, your podcast being live, uh, like we tend to do and say, hey, tune in. That person you're connected with, if you have this feature enabled now, can say, oh, this guy's right here. Right, you can see exactly yeah. like down to the house uh where they are on the yeah. map which is kind of crazy 
And, like, the users of Snapchat, like, are really, sometimes really young. So I think it's really important for, like, parents to, like, sit down. Like, I know you're going to use Snapchat, which is fine. But you really have to sit down and talk to them. Like, you really want to ensure that you're not sharing your location with every one of your friends on Snapchat. You have to be careful who you pick. Because you mm -hmm. can select of what friends. You can say all friends can see my location or just certain friends. You really want to sit down and talk to uh, kids. Parents should sit down and talk to kids about right. say, what like, you, what information you are exposing here and why you should be careful about uh, sharing this type of location information with everyone that you follow on Snapchat. Yeah, like I, I have so many questions about the implementation of this. Like, is there filters on what you can and can't make public? Like, is someone keeping track of what people are doing? Because it's now not very hard to broadcast something live or not live, but as a snap to a lot of people. Like, is there well, a way? Think, when you saw it on Facebook, have you guys seen this? This happened on the Facebook app first, the location based. Um, it wasn't down to the house like this is. This is very specific, right. but it was still the same. Lo it was like in the same general vicinity. I know every time I go to work, one of our coworkers shows up on my phone and says, yeah. <laughs> so and so is nearby. Yeah, when it, when that initially came when that initially came out, I I saw that coming up when I was at a bar, and it was like kind of interesting. It's like, oh, my friend is here. I didn't know that. <laughs> then I was like, wait a minute, this is creepy, and I turned it off. I was like, yeah, it was cool. It was cool that I found a friend who was at the same bar as me, right? But after I thought about it, it's like, wait a minute, am I really want to share my location at all times right. with Facebook? No, no thanks. Did you see the thing that Messenger had too, where um, I think it was on by default for a lot of people where it would actually send the location of where you were when you sent that message. Like you could click on that, you could expand the message in the Facebook Messenger app and get a map of where that person sent that message from. Okay. So the one thing I like about all this is, and it's kind of like a joke going around, is that this is the anti-cheating update. <laughs> but it's funny. Offers. I was going to make cheater, a joke about that. Caught with this. <laughs> that. Snapchat was the cheater app. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> it was the cheater yeah. app, and they were like, ah, all right. We'll help the girlfriends out, too. You've That's been exposed. Fine. Or boyfriends. <laughs> it's important to note also it's only sending the location while the app is open so once you close the app it's not it's running in the background but it's not going to send the location to snapchat so it only updates once you open the app it not will show current. the most recent yes not your current, yeah not your current yeah. location but, but like... it will show you where you were last using exactly. the app yeah mm -hmm. um, yeah i think brian i saw you earlier today yeah oh, so did i saw you on the app oh, oh. Uh -oh. yeah. <laughs> we were shown in like a, a, the same area because we work really <laughs> close to each other but <laughs> yeah I was just like yeah, checking out the map on the John. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of cool in a way because like if you say say that I'm at the Philadelphia Zoo and then I'm looking at the map and it's like oh Matt Slavin just posted at Philadelphia Zoos oh man I'm going to go find Slavin I didn't know he's at the zoo that's yeah. kind of cool but if, if it's not used correctly or you're not aware of what's going on exactly, who can see what, there are people I don't know that I've seen pictures of on Snapchat on the map that are just like trending or something. I don't know how they choose who gets shown because it's only so they have to add it to right. our story feature, yes. I think. Yeah, so when you whenever when you upload. send something, there's my story and there's sometimes an option called our story. 
Okay. If you add it to that, that makes it public to literally everyone in fa at Facebook. In or in the Facebook Snapchat. app. Or uh, that's what I meant. In Snapchat. You mean Snap yeah, yeah. Yes. In Snapchat. It makes Facebook it would love that though. <laughs> right. So there's, yeah, they right. would they would enjoy huge, that. So there's a huge festival somewhere in your yeah. vicinity and you're looking at the map and you see, oh, there's all these things on our story here and mm -hmm. it looks like a lot of fun. Right. Is that the appeal of this to draw people into events? What do you guys think? I was using it yesterday to kind of go around the world and like get a glimpse into like the lives of some people in like various cities. Like yesterday I was watching some festival um, in Saudi Arabia and then I went over to South Korea and was like checking out the nightlife in South Korea and then panned back over to the pyramids of Egypt just to see the people taking snaps of the pyramids because it gives you like an in-person at the ground level of the pyramids and th that was really cool like it's cool to like go on these yeah, like free cool. tours of the world and like check out all these countries and locations and stuff like that I like that as you said that i was ha i just so happened to be doing that just seeing like, <laughs> what else yeah. you could see because you guys mentioned the uh you can see like the stories of the live areas and it's that part of it is really cool i mean i can go right now like you said someone mentioned the philadelphia zoo i can go right to the philadelphia zoo and see zoo and see what people are snapping about like i can mm -hmm. see all of the awesome cute panda bears like and i could even this is probably a feature that's not directly intended by this but i could even see myself using this in the future being like oh i plan on going to this place later is it going to be packed with people is it going to be crowded like i can just jump into someone's our story in the area and be like oh okay the harper park um beer garden is mobbed right now maybe we should go somewhere else or to that point but, oh there's a lot of traffic on the turnpike i'm gonna take <laughs> you know like, yeah yeah <laughs> so what? i could see all these extra use cases for it it's pretty cool i don't know i, like, I kind of like it but what if it was like a riot yeah well that's a good point too and that would that would know. instantly get a following if there are people nearby <laughs> that's right that's why i was wondering real real closely to a future topic right now <laughs> so tempted to segue but i'm not gonna quite this isn't done. i mean we could even talk about both of these topics in in the same lump because it's it all comes down to like location-based instantaneous data yeah and true. the importance of pe the fact that people understand that we're in this new there's new realm where everything is instant you can view everything as it happens and like to ryan's point I was wondering if there's maybe even something similar that Facebook, like how Facebook Live does it, um, to take down instances of something. Like it's only a matter of time before a crime is committed on this or something. Right. So, how how long well, is it going to be, and are they going to be prepared for that? Police companies or police departments, sorry, use it like use things like that already on Facebook. If they mm -hmm. see someone who's suspected of a crime upload a photo and it has the location tag, they will go there and find that person and arrest them. I've mm -hmm. like, seen stories of that happening. I don't right. think it's far-fetched at all for this to happen with other apps now. Right, and I was even talking more so like, um, God forbid they had the person on Facebook Live who was executed oh, on yeah. on Facebook Live. Like it's, it, it, in my mind, because of how technology is and how people are with technology, my mind immediately goes to something like that or to using this in the case of like a stalking or which is something it's much harder to track. But I'm just talking about the things that are because like you said, kids use this app and much younger people than us use it daily. So when you and, talk about like smaller scale, like, okay, I don't mean to say smaller scale because all of these hold a certain gravity because of, you know, the situation at hand. But when it comes to 
things like you were saying, like, you know, the awful beheading that was recorded live. Uh, unfortunately, they use like different proxies and things like that. So they don't actually share their location. It's you can't trace them that way. But mm -hmm. if you can uh, take in the environment through what's being broadcasted when it comes down to like a picture or video, that's where it could come in. And, you know, the location tag, if it's on. Yeah. For your everyday criminal. Mm -hmm. Right. Because Snapchat up until this point has been very unmoderated, to say the least, in terms of the publication of snaps. And what I, the point that I was trying to get at basically is, are we going to see Snapchat step in and take this stuff down if it does happen? Like, is there a way to flag and report public snaps globally available to anybody as like, hey, maybe this shouldn't be seen by people. This is a really well, bad thing. Have they really not monitored? Because, I mean, I've checked out like those those featured stories before and it'll be like some crazy festival or like some crazy concert where, you know, people are doing drugs and stuff. And mm -hmm. I don't see anybody falling down, throwing up on themselves. I don't see anybody, you know doing crazy stuff i mean it's everything right. seems to be tame that you seem in the that you see in those stories and that's really what you're seeing except for the individuals that's really mm -hmm. what you're seeing on that part of the app is these festivals or these major events or these major uh landmarks so is it really not being viewed maybe it's the same thing maybe they are going through some kind of an approval process before this gets uploaded to um before this gets uploaded to the live but that's what i was one that's the point i was trying to make like, is this something that people are moderating before it goes live or, or is it just kind of like posting to your story where it just goes right there okay you know I, thought what you I, mean? was, I thought you were saying that they that they or that they haven't to this point and i was like oh really i didn't know yeah well, i mean they have it they have in that case that's I, I would argue is the same but like in in i just didn't know if it was in the same aspect as that or if it was basically publishing like to your story because okay. you can put whatever the heck you want on that yeah so i don't it's a different time we live not in. More out there, cheaters. Can't put more <laughs> out there anymore. And not exactly. Just, not just cheaters, but rioters are coming into the picture. Here we uh, go. Yeah, here we go. Uh -oh. <laughs> this uh, article from The Verge, which I believe was published today, is talking about a study performed by Cardiff University, which is based in Wales, UK. Um, and it has determined, based on their metrics uh, in regards to the London riots in 2011, that apparently Twitter can be used to identify dangerous situations like riots up to an hour faster than police reports. That's impressive. Wasn't wasn't this also how the I think it was the Arab Spring was organized? Yeah, yep. that, that whole movement. So yeah, this is and Twitter's always pledged itself as the free speech wing of free speech, or I forget the exact slogan they use, but um, they it's it's impressive that people are able to use these metrics that's faster than police response. And I would like to see maybe even police have the ability to hook into that or to have people develop means for the police to take advantage of that in such a way where you could almost predict a riot before it happens based on location and tweets. Well, that's, that's coming, but this is, it's not really a prediction based on what I'm, what I've read. It's more like, oh, uh, you're writing again. Haven't you done this enough? Things like that, where mm -hmm. Twitter can take something like that and be like, okay, maybe something's happening here. Oh, I'm getting a lot more about things happening here. There's a riot going on here. 
mm. where police are waiting on calls, going actually verifying something's happening. Yeah, it, it's just starting to. It's it's basically just them extrapolating on data they have, but <clears throat> it it was just what the the article headline was. They said they could predict it, but yeah, and predict can be that's kind of a vague word in that sense. Yeah, I don't think it was the right word to use. Mm-hmm. But they're starting to be able to develop algorithms on identifying potential threats. So, like. It would be cool to see like the police have something similar to snap maps, for example, where they have like heat maps of activity <laughs> that are potentially threatening in Twitter based yeah. on location on phones, something like that. Just then I wonder if in this new age, if we're going to progress onto a more internet based source of like de- threat detection and stuff, just based on people tweeting and people's movements in social media going to and from apps mm-hmm. maybe we use don't... an ai to determine that mm-hmm. yeah but we yeah, don't want to when we use that ai we don't want to be too early and start doing what we did in minority report and do some pre-crime stuff where you're stopping the crime before it actually right. happens before that person actually commits anything they don't mm-hmm. do anything so you want to be careful so I... they might be talking about doing anything doing do, doing something but they haven't actually done anything yet so the AI might interpret that as, oh, they already done it, so they're gonna report that to authority and they get arrested for not having right. done anything at all yet. Yeah, but I don't think it would be a situation where the AI turns around and says, oh my God, they did something. It would it would just spit out the information to them and then they have to be the people who, like the, the law enforcement would be the people to be like, okay, let's go put uh, officers near this person to ensure nothing happens. Or, you know, let's send officers to this area because this area is a heat map with a lot of the same word being used, the threatening word or dangerous words or reactionary words to a situation. Let's send people in that direction to keep it where it is instead of it escalating further. I think that's something that could be potentially easy by using AI to constantly live update Twitter with these keywords. I think that's really as far as you could go. I don't see it going much further than that, at least at this time. But Mm -hmm. I'll let you guys take that. That's that's my feel. You ready up for a lesson in future crime? Yeah. <laughs> and the, what, if the, people, what if people pose like they're going to do something to distract law enforcement so they can do something somewhere else? I mean, it, that, that's definitely a possibility. I mean, that stuff happens now. <laughs> yep, exactly. It, it mm-hmm. now and, and, and that's without constant monitoring. It's more with wiretaps and stuff like that. It's just so simple it, misdirection. Yep. Yeah, it's... It, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be impossible to predict everything like we talked about before you some in some cases you have to be reactionary but having every tool at your disposal is the only way to to make these precautions i mm-hmm. there, there's not much else you can unless you do it how you're doing it now and just sit back and wait and then react to that right and the article was going on to say um kind of to both of your points that many existing approaches to event detection are directed primarily at large scale events as the article says, like terror attacks, riots, stuff of this matter. And it's much harder to kind of work with the data you have when you're working with smaller incidents like fires, robberies, car accidents, stuff like that. So it's looking like it's primarily going to be more accurate in large scale scenarios, which makes perfect sense. And um, then also to our point we were talking earlier, the article goes on to say that it's confirming what companies such as data miner that's without an e in the miner 
have been doing for governments and law enforcement. So it looks like this already is happening. Yeah. Um, into almost real time alerts for these events. So it's cool to see that that's how it's actually kind of progressing and we're seeing a little bit more of a rapid response. But I don't know if what everyone's saying, if we're going to see it be able to predict like petty crimes or stop anything of that nature. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting, definitely, to see yeah. where, where we're moving with this. Yeah, I mean, you can't use every single keyword as a way to, to grab somebody and arrest them. I mean, Facebook, uh, their memories are on this day feature. And time hop are the greatest things ever invented because I get to go delete all the dumb things that I said when I was like 17 on social media. <laughs> so like, I mean, imagine some 17 year old saying something stupid on the internet and it's not the most threatening thing in the world, but it's just, it's, it was how he felt in the moment. He's going through teenage angst, whatever. Like, and then all of a sudden, if we're overreactionary and we, we go and arrest a, a kid who hasn't even done anything, yeah, obviously you want to avoid that situation. I think it's all about monitoring but keeping that human element in there okay let's read this let's adjust accordingly let's assess the situation right i think it's, it's harder to make it specific like that like you see with these riots there's definitely a large group of people and they're on their phones tweeting their feelings in one location like you know a small location point so like if you're just having individual one-offs it's more like well you don't really know yeah <laughs> it's more of a gray area mm -hmm. yeah and it all falls back onto this new emergence of location-based social media right. and information in within a small area and instantaneous communication. So, um, I just it's we're in a, we're in uncharted territory. People have never had this finite level of communication with each other on such a small location, even across smaller distances too. So. Things like Snapchat's feature, their Snap Maps and Twitter's, um, just the instantaneous nature of Twitter in itself um, is going to like pave the way for all different kinds of um, just different situations and scenarios that people are forced to be in because this is just the world we live in now. So, yeah, the way I'm, technology advances, it's there's different rules every day. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, it makes the rules these days, you know. Mm hmm. So I think it's definitely going to be something that we should keep an eye on because I, I feel like we, we're at this point, we're basically predicting stuff now just because we've called out <laughs> the cybersecurity thing. But I, I'm telling you in a future episode, we're probably going to be talking about something that went wrong with Snapchat's Snap Map feature or something that went wrong with something that involved Twitter movement or activities or something like that. Totally agree. I, I just feel like it's going to happen. <laughs> especially with, I think, I think Irvin mentioned that it's a younger crowd that's primarily using the app frequently, mm -hmm. not excessively. Um, I could definitely see misuse occurring. Uh, right, where they're not even aware of what, how much information that they're sharing with someone. Not and just that, but they're, they may even be completely aware and just be blind to what even their peers could do to them. As right. a result, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe this guy's doing something there and you want to go assert your dominance as a 12-year-old and you go fight him or something, you know, stupid. Um, I could see that panning out poorly. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and we have that information now, like even going into just like what 
Like I think there's there's various hooks in Google and Twitter and Facebook right now. You can go to certain pages to double check like what permissions you've given to certain sites. And like I guarantee you you've forgotten about that or like there's some that you haven't needed in a long, long time because you no longer use that app or something, but it's still sending that location data out. It's still sending that data to those servers and people are just forgetful. They, you can't hold it's, I think it's unreasonable to blame it on a person it, to hold them accountable for forgetting to remove their presence from something. Like I guarantee you, most of us still have a MySpace account online. <laughs> <laughs> and I know for fact, speak for yourself. And when's the last time you guys logged into that MySpace or even have access, maybe even have access to the email anymore that it's associated with? What's an acceptable answer that you guys won't judge me for? <laughs> A long time? I don't know. <laughs> you could say yesterday and I wouldn't be phased. I would be phased. <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle's not invited back next week, so join us for the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> If you like wrestling, uh, now's the time to listen because you won't get the right. <laughs> But um, on a note related to Twitter, um, do y'all fellas with the iOS device on the other side of the fence, do you guys have access to an app called Phoenix? It's a third-party Twitter app. Do they make an iOS version oh, of that app? Because um, maybe this will put a stopgap on all things evil with Twitter, but a third-party Twitter app has announced that they themselves are going to implement and have implemented um, editing tweets before they're actually published. So um, that's something that Twitter people and some famous YouTubers and a bunch of people have been no, clamoring all. about for years, the ability to edit a tweet. And the way that it works is the way that I think that Twitter should implement it. It's um, and when you post a tweet, you get like a a 10 second like little notification that counts down and in that time if you see a typo you can quickly edit it and then republish it or just let it send coffee so tea. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah any any potentially well-known figures who regularly tweet and make typos can have the chance to edit their tweets if they use that and yeah <laughs> it's something that people have been wanting for a long time and it's interesting that third-party companies are doing it and twitter isn't doing it yeah i couldn't tell you i mean i think kyle you just said it's not available on ios no mm -hmm. yeah i to be honest i have two twitter handles uh because first one i got locked out of like a noob and the nice. second one i uh, i started again and then i realized i don't really have too much to tweet about so <laughs> i have kind of just dropped it's okay. twitter guys i have three twitter handles I just felt like I was forcing it when I did it. Personally. Hashtag obsessed. <laughs> yeah. I have one Twitter account for my personal use. I have one for aggregating news. And then I have another one that sends the news to the news aggregator. <laughs> That's cool. I like <laughs> it. Think? So the other one just literally tweets RSS feeds of articles. It's... It's interesting. I, I wish I tweeted more and I wish I was more active on Twitter, but it hasn't done a whole lot to hold me beyond what Facebook and Reddit. You know, Matt, I'm, Matt I'm, I'm proud of you. I, I definitely read it more than I actually post at it because I follow a lot of influential people within the tech, definitely the tech side of things, as well as 
any of the interesting people that I might follow that on top about that are, who are experts about topics that I enjoy reading about. So I, I follow up uh, t on Twitter a couple times a day to see what people are posting, but I definitely don't post uh, rarely anything on my Twitter myself. I yeah, just I'll retweet, to... but hardly yeah. an original. I'm I'm very active during wrestling. Right. And ma major sporting events and most wrestling events, especially if I'm watching live, obviously I don't want to tweet when it's like, you know, a week later, but mm -hmm. maybe I missed something with Twitter. Like maybe I'm missing some aspect of it that like the live aspect of it that I'm not a hundred percent keen on, but I feel like I, it has to be your, like be your life for like right. at least an hour a week. <clears throat> it seems like a part-time job. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of what turned me off from it. It's like I, I get the appeal, and it's cool to stay informed with what people are saying. Mm -hmm. It's another form of communication, but I don't, I personally don't want to sit on my phone with my eyes glued to the screen for that long. Right, but yeah, I, I literally only use it for tech articles, parody Twitter accounts, and the president. And that's parody. the only reason why I'm on there. Yeah. So, it is what it is. Yep. I'm trying to get them follows up, son. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at 314 right now, dog. I was going to say, you're trying to get the double digits, huh? <laughs> uh, and, I, and also, we're on Twitter. Yes. Down we in the are on Twitter. Corner. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not saying our Twitter is not important. Just my Twitter is not important. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that's pretty much all we got for this episode. So... Anybody want to do the honors of playing this out? Anyone Can I want do to a cheap plug before we do it? Yeah, go for it. Plug yourself, plug away. I got so, one next. As always, I'm going to do a cheap plug for my other podcast. If you like this and you're a super nerd like myself, please, please check out on iTunes and Podomatic.com. Uh, on air with Keenan and Kyle. We're also on Twitter at on air Keenan Kyle. Uh, the with an end, uh, we're just too many characters, so they wouldn't let us do it. But uh, <laughs> at on air Keenan Kyle, uh, good stuff. We usually retweet my opinions on wrestling, Kevin's opinions on wrestling, or uh, we tweet directly from the um, the, the actual Twitter account itself. Uh, but like I said, iTunes, you can subscribe, rate, review the whole nine, just like you should do with the Industry 4.0 on iTunes, Google Play as well. I know I have. <laughs> you're you're and, our number uh, one fan. That's right. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I call number two. <laughs> and then just a quick plug too. Uh, as you've heard in this episode and the rest, Beats by J-Buds for the intro, the little break in the middle and the outro. I've got, I've got a new beat going as of last week. As soon as we ended the episode, I started it. And I'm uh, working on it, like in the progress. If you go to soundcloud.com slash freh, that's F-R-E-H, not to be confused with fresh. Uh, you can find some, <laughs> some new beats up there, and um, I'm pretty excited with the progress I'm making. All right. And so am I, by as, the way. Thank I you. I wish I had something that. interesting to plug. Um, I do plan on starting Android development at some point. I've been kind of keeping up with some videos and kind of doing some tutorials. So maybe by the time we get a little deeper into the podcast, I'll have a couple apps that I can plug later on. But I don't have anything interesting, so I can. If anybody does, if anybody else doesn't have anything they want to plug, I can. Uh, I can just go right into plugging ourselves. Anybody else want to jump in? Nope. Nope. 
Looks like not. <laughs> so you can find us primarily on industry40.podbean.com. That's our home base where all the episodes come from. Um, that's if you go to that website, feel free to follow us, like us, comment on the comment on the podcast episodes, do whatever you'd like there. Uh, you can also find us on Google Play and iTunes at Industry 4.0. Um, you can look for the image. It's just the the four and the black and green gears with the word industry down below it. Um, feel free to like, subscribe, share, and listen and rate us, which is most important. Um, you can find us also streaming live on YouTube if you haven't already and are watching us live. Um, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, pretty much anywhere. We, I don't, I don't Jay, but have you been keeping up with the SoundCloud or is that just kind of? Uh, not to present date. There were okay. well, issues there. But. Formerly known as the podcast located on Sound, SoundCloud, but not anymore. Um, but I guess that's it for this week's Industry 4.0. This has been episode eight, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye.